In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. It's Friday night. Got a great show for you today. We are creating a bridge between Hawaii and Switzerland. We got the one and only Kevin Holt coming all the way from Switzerland. Uh, 12-hour gap, I think, over there. He's got a new book. He's got other books out. Uh, you've seen him before on the podcast. You've seen him on LinkedIn, and you've probably seen him depending if you've been to Bali or New York or Switzerland, you've probably seen this guy somewhere. Kevin, what you're, you're back in Switzerland now, or where are you at? I am back in Switzerland, uh, central Switzerland, German part. Um, just here, like I was saying pre-show, it just came right. back because I was running a little bit tight on money and I decided I needed to work a bit more and uh, like bank some money to fund, fund my do nothing lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm exaggerating know. a bit, but yeah, right. Um, I actually didn't tell you this. I'm I'm saving up for a commercial diving training. Mm. So after I do this, I'm gonna go to Norway for four months and learn how to dive, like work underwater, basically, and seeing oh, if wow. that's something interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's well, it is something interesting. Is like underwater welding, or I mean, like like are you looking for things, or what what are you doing underwater? I would love I would love to finance private treasure hunting missions, but um, I think most people most people go into underwater welding. Mm. They work for oil and gas, and some people do nuclear, which is interesting. I guess nuclear reactors have pools of water, mm. and that sometimes something needs to be happened there, which sounds scary, but I think it's actually safer than underwater welding stuff. And there are some people that do scientific diving, like they go uh, they work with oceanographers and other underwater archaeologists i guess oh um, yeah searching for the ships that got sunk uh, going to atlantis and stuff like that so that would be cool i'm sure it's not paid as well and harder to break into but that kind of stuff would be cool too i don't really know what i would do with it if i even pursue it all the way it just i met someone that was kind of in a similar life career situation to me mm -hmm. and ended up doing that and really loved it and that just it kind of appeals to me uh theoretically as a job because yeah. it's very flexible and you're kind of, you know, you're on for three weeks, you're off for a couple of months, but when you're on, you're paid very well. And it's sort of, um, exploratory and it's, it's kind of like being an astronaut underwater. It seems kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a, a pipeline that you could probably fix between Russia and yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Underwater pipeline repair. Uh, so it's a crazy job, man. I was, talking yeah. to this guy about it he was what's called a saturation diver okay and i'd never even heard of this before as a job like i couldn't even believe that people do this so uh what they do it, it, have you ever dived before have you gone below? Uh, just free dive free dive well so you're aware of compression and decompression and, sure. and the bends and all that right right so the problem with deep dives of course is you know if you go down, let's say 
50 meters or 100 meters. By the time you get down there, you can only stay there like 10 minutes before you got to start going up because otherwise you get saturated by uh, by the gases and get the bends if you go up too fast. So super impractical practical to because you can't get anything done in 10 minutes. So they've designed a system where people will stay at pressure for like weeks. Mm. So they go, uh, let's say it's a it's a oil offshore oil rig that needs some kind of work done. They stay on the boat near the oil rig. And at the bottom of the boat, they created this chamber that's pressurized to the depth that they're going to work at. So let's say it's uh, if it's like 200 meters down, maybe it's nine atmospheres or something or, or more than that. So they stay at that pressure all the time. And then there's from this chamber where they basically live in and eat in and sleep in, there's a diving bell that takes them down to the work site. That's also at that same pressure, the same pressure as the floor where they're working. So they just stay at that pressure. Wow. And um, there's a whole like complex logistics around it because you have to be very careful doing certain things. Like even flushing the toilet is a major operation. And um, and then it takes them like a week to decompress. So when they're done with the job, they just stay in the chamber and then they gradually bring the pressure back up to surface until they can safely exit. So wow. it's, it's crazy. That yeah. is crazy. Yeah, and you, I don't know if I'll do that, but I just thought it sounded really interesting. I think it sounds super interesting. Just just the idea of you, you know, you made the comparison when you talk about atmospheres or the final frontier. It it does seem like being under the ocean is very similar to being in space. It's alien, right? Yeah, I mean, you're wearing this complex suit to go to work and with a big helmet that's got tubes coming out of it with yeah. air and communications yeah right and then you're living in this like kind of spaceshipy environment because it's pretty cramped you can't really do anything it's a very austere and disciplined life because you have to be very careful about how you do things so it is kind of like being an astronaut i imagine yeah and i'd imagine you you would be able to utilize mm -hmm. drones down there as well the same way they use them above ground right like you're probably using some sort of you know, underwater drone that has a camera on it that can move stuff around or I don't know. It's I don't know. I, I'll find out, I guess. I'm just, I'm just learning as I go. So yeah, yeah that's where I'm at with, uh, with career, I guess. Cause I sort <laughs> of given up on the office life. Cause I'm like, I don't know if that's for me I'm trying to find something different, you know, something, and this is completely different. I mean, I've never really worked with my body in that way before. So yeah, it's maybe the, uh, give me more rounded career experience, let's say, but I don't yeah. know. Like I said, I'm going to do the course. It may not be something for me. It's just an idea that I've got for the moment. Yeah. I love that. I love one of the things I, I love about you is your ability to be flexible and find new ideas and constantly reinvent yourself. You know, I, I see you build, you, you have rental property and villas in Bali, and then you're back in Switzerland doing this other thing. And then you're back to New York, hanging with the fam for a little bit. And next thing you know, you're, taking this diving course in Scandinavia and just, I, I really admire the way in which you take a giant bite out of life and, and explore like that. Is that, is that something that you've always been that way? Or do you think people are born that way? Or is it something that is kind of contagious? The more you do it, the more you want to do it. Yeah, that's something I don't know, man. I really don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm just a anomaly um, or if, if uh, this is some kind of a natural, I don't know. I've always kind of been like that. I've always been a bit of a wanderer and I mm -hmm. think I have some degree of ADHD or something where I get, I get, I don't like being bored. Right. Mm -hmm. So I get bored of stuff. I get bored of the same location. I get bored of the same job. Strangely, I don't get bored of the same woman. I can be with a, the same woman for a long time as long as they're entertaining. <laughs> but, um, but like jobs and environments, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm one, I guess I'm a learner. Type, if you've ever done the, what do they call it? The Gallup Strengths Finders survey, which if you've never done it, definitely recommend it. Okay. There's, a, I think, 20 or 30 or 40 different strengths that we all, uh, a total catalog of strengths, and we all have some more of some and less of another. And you do the test and it gives you your top five. And once I learned this about myself, it made things a lot clearer because I scored learner as my number one. And that explained to me why I crave change and I get bored mm. because what happens to me is I'll do something new and I'll get really excited about it. And then like two or three years in, I, it just, it goes away. 
And I didn't really understand that for a long time. And the learner thing made sense to me because although you don't necessarily gain expert level knowledge in that amount of time, I get to the point where like, I kind of know what's going on. I more or less figured it out. I'm comfortable doing this now. All right, what's the next thing? I'm not really learning too much anymore. So then I'll, I'll, I'll stop and I'll do something else. So that, that has a lot of disadvantages to it, but I think variety is, is one of the advantages. And one of the things I realize as well is that it makes me feel like I'm dumber than I really am because I'm in this almost like perpetual novice state. Right. And I, I don't, I never reached that level of like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the master. Cause I've been doing this, you know, honing my skill at this for 20 years because I'll switch and I'll do something else. So yeah, that's, I guess that's kind of one of the disadvantages to, to, to doing it that way. Yeah. It's an interesting way to look at it, you know, and, and I think it takes a lot of courage to do, you know, so here, here's sort of a paradox and let me know what you think. Some people say that it takes a lot of courage to, go out and strike out on your own and become your own boss or the master of your own destiny. And then some people say that that's risky, but then the people that do that say, well, I think being risky is working somewhere for 20 years or 30 years because you're depending on this other entity to make your life a little bit better, even though they may promise a retirement or, you know, they're promising you these benefits in the future. Do you think one of those modalities is more risky than the other? Uh, I don't think a one's more risky necessarily. Um, if you do the the quote unquote safe way and you're mm -hmm. smart with money, that is probably much safer. Um, mm -hmm. Most people, however, aren't smart with money and they, they live as if they're just going to have that job or that scenario forever. And they maybe spend what they take in or they spend more than they take in. And that's risky, right? When you've, mm -hmm. when you've created a dependency and you don't have the financial stability to be free of that, then you're in a risky scenario. And I mean, we're seeing also the whole, the whole system really uh, being put into question, because a lot of these systems were designed post World War II during the baby boomer generation, where we had a lot more people working than retired. So they came up with the Social Security and, and the pension system. But how is that going to work out in the next 30, 40 years? Is that going to be there? Is the money you've paid into it just going to be gone or what? So that I guess there's risk on that end. So yeah, I think they they're both inherently risky. To be honest, I don't think there is really a, a truly safe. Maybe that's why I've I, I've able to do these things because I look at both and I'm like, well, one's not inherently safer than the other, so I might as well do the one that's more interesting. Yeah, you yeah. know that brings up a question when we start talking about uh, you know working in a way that is safe or hiking out on your own, or we get into the idea of boomers, or we get into the idea of money and finance. Now you've done a lot of traveling around the world and you've, you've spent time in the United States. Now you're in Switzerland. What, and we've just had a pretty big crisis in Switzerland, right? You had like the, the bank failure, the UBS thing going on over there. Is that something over here in the West? We, we hear, Oh, they had this giant bank failure. What's it like being over there? Is it like the 2008 crisis here in the United States or what's it like over there? Um, nah, people seem pretty chill about it actually. Right. So I think it's it's really only the one bank, mm. and it was Credit Suisse that failed, That's and right. UBS right. now took it wow. over. I see. And the thing is, Credit Suisse isn't isn't a bank that you and I would use normally, right? It's not like a really a, for depositors or even mortgages so much. It's more of those kind of like high flying banks that do derivatives trading and all mm. these sort of high leverage activities. So I don't think your average person has yet been impacted by that too much. Mm -hmm. I've got money in a bank account here. That's not one of those two. And I was just out of curiosity, looking up their balance sheets and stuff and they seem okay. Right. Like they don't have as much leverage as some of these bigger banks do because of specific laws in Switzerland. But yeah, I mean, I mean the entire banking system right now is, is, is in question. Right. Um, we don't know, like, we still don't know how far this contagion is going to go. It's still kind of unfolding. And I think there is real concern as to, you know, where should you, where should you keep your money nowadays? Like what is even safe? Because in the U S for example, for those listening from the U S you've got the, the FDIC, uh, federal, what is it? Federal deposit insurance, something. Yep. Yep which is supposed to guarantee up to $250,000. Mm -hmm. 
But I think whatever's in that fund is only like a tiny fraction of all deposits in the US. So like in theory, it insures it, but in practice, who knows? And then there are certain laws that allow banks to do what's called a bail-in, which is and just mm. take depositor money. They did it in Cyprus, I think right. in 2008, where they just made everybody in Cyprus give up like 10 or 15% of their deposits as like this, they just took it. So then, so it raises the question, like, is your money even yours? How do you make your money yours? Where do you put it? Banks aren't necessarily that safe. Even small banks, people are thinking, all right, well, let's leave it in the small banks. But the small banks are kind of risky too, because they don't have those too big to fail guarantees that the bigger banks do. So maybe that's risky. And then people think, oh, I'll store it in crypto, but that's becoming regulatorily also burdensome in a lot of countries. So yeah, I think we're in this strange, huge money transition right now. I don't really think anybody knows where it's going to go in the next two years. Because there are some people that I follow that says, this is planned. They're transferring the world to CBDCs. But mm -hmm. in order to do that first, they've got to tank the old bank and fiat system first. And maybe that's what's happening right now. Yeah, it's interesting. As someone like, so you've spent time in Japan, you've spent time in all parts of Europe, you spent time in Bali and you know, your first book, young, successful and miserable, there was an underlying tone about the way in which we get value from what we do. And I'm wondering as someone who has a background who, who, who after writing your first book and after traveling around a little bit do each of the countries have like a different idea of what money is like a different, I think they have different, different ideas of maybe not necessarily what money is but on how it should be managed okay for sure because i mean japan is an interesting example because they've they've been going through what people call the lost two or three decades now since the 90s um they've had increased debt but not really any growth but also it's hard to say if that's bad or not because I mean, obviously too much debt's not good, but if you look at growth and inflation, right? Cause somehow they're tied together mm -hmm. in the U S you have a lot of growth, but you also had a lot of inflation in Japan. You had no growth, but also pretty much no inflation. So, and I, I went there, I did a 20 year gap. I used to live there in 2005 and I went back like 15 years later and everything still costs exactly the same amount. <laughs> so it's like people were still making the same amount of money and spending the same amount of money. So yeah, they didn't go anywhere. But if you ask somebody today, if their living standard was how their living standard was compared to 20, 30 years ago, it's roughly the same. I mean, they might, they might have lost a little bit, like maybe 5% of the real income, but it's more or less the same. But then you look at a place like the U S where, real incomes have gone down quite a bit like what people earn based right. on what things have like gone up in price over the last two decades i think most people would say they had they felt they had more money disposable money 25 30 years ago than they have today so i don't know what the answer you know that we're always told that if we need to grow and we need to inflate and inflation is good but is that true for the average person and then you look at a place like Indonesia, and we were talking about banking just now. And I don't know how much uh, people are aware of fractional reserve banking, but it's, it's normal for a bank to only keep, let's say, 3 to 5% of their deposits actually on hand, and then they use the rest, and they loan it out, and they invest it. Where in Indonesia... I just found out that actually they're required to have over 100% in reserve. Wow. So for every 100,000 they get, they can only loan out like 80 or 90,000 of it. Um, they have to keep, they have to, every loan has to be backed by at least the same amount or more in cash. And I was talking to somebody about this the other day who was in the finance sector. And then they go, yeah, but you know, in that system, you know, they're, they're not growing, right? And I'm like, no, they're not growing as fast as they would in a system where they're loaning out, you know, 20 times what they have, but they're also not subject to the same level of risk. And how many, this is what the third banking crisis that the, you know, Western countries have had since 2001 was the first one in the last 25 years, mm -hmm. 2008. And that was another one. 
they haven't had any in the last 25 years. So that's the trade-off. I mean, it's always this trade-off of risk versus reward, which kind of like ties back to what we said earlier. It's like how how frugal, how how risk averse you want to be versus how security you want to feel. You know. So yeah, I'd say that's the main difference I saw is their attitude towards towards risk and and regulation. Seeing what happened in the past. Yeah, it's I, I've noticed a few ideas that seem to be permeating at least the world I live in. And it seems on social media too. And I think it's this idea of money is changing. Like it's it definitely like if you read biographies or you start to listen to some people that have, have made a ton of money in their lives and then they, you know, they're, they get older in life. You know what they never say? They never say, I wish I would have worked harder. They never say, I wish I would have yeah. spent more time at the office. They never say, I wish I would have gone and, uh, you know, built one more business, but they do say, I wish I would have been a better husband. I wish I would have been a better father. I wish I would have taken another vacation. And so when you look at it from that angle, you can see that money has a discount rate. And then when we stack inflation on top of that, we can see another discount rate. When I, when I look around and I talk to the younger kids where, where I work at, you know, I see a lot of them like, you know what, this isn't for me. I don't want to, I don't want to be working slave wages for 14 hours a day. And then at the end, I don't even have enough money to have a family. And it's a weird yeah. paradox that I see because I see the older generation, primarily boomers saying, well, these kids are just lazy. And these kids are like, I just don't want to do what you did. That was ridiculous. You got burned. You made almost no money and you funneled all your profits to the top. And now you have nothing and you're bitter. So there's this weird kind of thing going on. And I think us as Xers are almost like a bridge between this weird sort of relationship have you seen it that way well i think it's both right i think okay. it's too easy to say that kids are just lazy right i mean me kids too. are lazy but they're kids it's true that the, you you what you earn just isn't covering the costs right. anymore because right. of inflation you can't like back in the boomer generation you could do that you could work those you could work minimum wage, minimum wage jobs in those hours but you would actually put money away like you right. were able to save money it's in a and the U.S. is, a, I think, U.K. is another kind of like extreme example where that's becoming mm -hmm. very difficult. And it's gotten just more difficult over the last 20, 30 years. It's all due to the way countries have managed their currency and their central bank. And um, the countries that didn't sell out to like a very huge central bank are still doing kind of OK. Like Switzerland didn't join the mm -hmm. euro. They're still managing their own money. They're doing kind of OK. Norway as well. There's a few examples like that. I forget where I was going with this, but um, it related to uh, the it's idea of, of money yeah. itself. Like you sort of you sort of brought up the idea of of money, and it's when you think about it, it's it's nothing more than a belief system like anything right. else, right? Because it's not most money isn't backed by anything at all other than the trust in the government issuing it. And that trust is at an all-time low in a lot of countries, and they're over-indebted. So I don't know when it's going to happen, but obviously it's not sustainable because every year these governments just pile on more debt, and that's going to make the money supply go up and things cost more. So, yeah, it's just I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to come to a head at some point. Maybe not yeah. in our lifetimes or maybe in two years. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. It's... It's interesting to see this talk about money and this talk about value and then to see where technology is kind of taking us. You know, I, I remember when I was uh, – Peter Thiel is famous for saying we were promised flying cars and we got 120 characters. And it seems to me that there, you know, th there was all this promise of self-driving cars and self-driving trucks and robots on factory floors. But it seems what's kind of happening now is that we have new technology like chat GPT could be coming in and maybe taking jobs from lawyers or judges. It seems like chat GPT may have the ability to cut out the middleman and kind of cut the fat in the middle where we thought it was going to get rid of the worker. It seems to be kind of coming for mid-level or even white collar jobs. What's your take on that? Yeah. I think that's another reason the dive thing appeals to me because yeah. I'm looking at AI Right. And the type of jobs I've been doing, and I'm going, well, AI could probably do this job mm. eventually, maybe not now, but in a couple of years. Yeah. And I've read similar articles that discuss what you just said, is that we all thought that AI was going to start with self-driving trucks and things like that. 
but it looks like it's going to start with the white collar jobs mm. and the stuff like very the very manual jobs that's eventually probably going to be roboticized as well but you need a very advanced humanoid robot that's capable of making those like on the spot environmentally sure. variable decisions which i think is a much more advanced type of ai right right whereas a thing that can just look up um can read all the law the legal precedents in all the law books in the span of two seconds and write an opinion right that's yeah. going to happen first so i think that's a real um a real concern and what that's i guess that's why they elon musk and a few others have caused for a pause on this mm. and i believe italy has banned chat gbt so we're going to mm. have these little like pockets of resistance but i don't mm -hmm. I think it's inevitable i think just think the ones that don't resist it are going to outcompete the other ones and it's going to happen anyway yeah i was listening to uh martin shkreli do you remember that guy that was uh he ran like a pharmaceutical company for a while and he he oh, yeah he tried to gouge people on the price <laughs> he right he did he did yeah. yeah i was listening to him and uh he he has been working on um so this is all speculation i don't know i heard this in a podcast somewhere but according to this podcast that I was listening to, someone has dumped the the uh, potential AI unit that Facebook is working on on Reddit or something like that. And so you're able to get all the code there. And Shkreli and this team of, of guys were working on building their own AI machine that didn't have any governors on it. And he was seeing some pretty interesting things like, you know, wouldn't it be great if if we could get the AI to, to accelerate it, like he's, he's on the opposite side of the fence where, you know, Gates and Musk are like, we should pause it. And he's like, no, no, we should accelerate this thing. Like, let's get rid of all this, these jobs that you don't need. Let's get real healthcare. If you had robots or, you know, uh, surgeons that could do surgery, you know, you could cut so much fat out of the healthcare system. And it was an interesting angle to think about, instead of pausing, accelerating. And it made me think, maybe that gets us to the same spot. Like if you accelerate everything and it does come in and clean out the, the, the middle jobs, the high jobs, or even some of the labor jobs, isn't that also going to create opportunity and push us where we want to be? I think it's, I mean, we, pausing it is really just that. It's just delaying what's going yeah, to happen anyway. Right, right. So maybe that is a point there. Let's just, you know, let's just get it over with. Like just speed up to its inevitable <laughs> conclusion. Right. Um, instead of kicking the can down the road like right. we usually do about everything. Um, yeah, I'm I guess I don't have an opinion either way. It's like it's gonna happen. We just accept what comes, really. I can have no control over it myself. Yeah. Um I, Bill, I know Bill Gates wants it to happen like immediately. He said something like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it it just seems like stagnation is not the way to go. I mean, if you try to put the brakes on something, especially like this, it, it I just don't know how this genie goes back in the bottle. No, I don't think it does. I think the only thing that is gained by pausing it is maybe trying to work out some of the societal fallback of when it happens. Mm. I mean, they're because they're what, what are we saying? 80, 90% of the people will not be able to be productive anymore. So mm. what do we do with that as a, as a society? Do we need to roll out CBDCs first so that, that everyone has some kind of uh, universal basic income in there? their crypto wallet every month um i don't know i think that's the only benefit to pausing is try to work out those solutions but then there's something to be said where well it happens anyway you know necessity is, is the mother of all invention yeah and uh some innovative solutions will come out to solve these anyway um, it just might be a bumpier ride yeah i was playing around with yeah. this idea that the biggest obstacles we have in the future is the collapsing of the old models and when you look, look at yeah. psychology or you look at these models, like even Freud's ideas of like the ego and the id and the superego, like if you can just look back in history, everything is beginning to look a lot like a Copernicus moment. Like, hey, guess that's not right. Hey, guess what? That's not right. Well, if that foundation wasn't right, then everything we built on it is probably either like the leaning tower of Pisa or like it's it's. It's not going to work. And maybe that's maybe that's why we are where we are. It's because the models that we had were faulty. All I can say is what an amazing time to be alive. I, know, I mean, if you could man, choose to beautiful. be born any time where like hundreds of years go by and nothing happens. And now stuff is happening so quickly or we're on this huge turning point and we just yeah. get to watch and see what happens. I mean, you have to be somewhat detached 
with right. like how your how your life turns out but if you're able to detach and just look at it as as an as a play it's super interesting yeah i heard a great Very quote entertaining. yeah i heard a great quote that said something along the lines of there's a there's decades where nothing happens and then there's days where decades happen you know yeah. it's like and it's just like it's just the acceleration of it too and and i i would like to, on a positive note to everybody that's listening to this like there's never been a better time to take a look at your life and decide that what you want to do. Like, you know, oh, yeah. Right. If there's so much opportunity, like you and I are talking across, you know, seven different time zones in two different countries and talking about in real time what's happening where you are and where I am and just connecting these bridges and making connections. It's such an exciting time. Yeah, you talked before about the safe versus the risky way. Right. I mean, right. as you just said, there is no better time right. to just go, fuck it, I'm going to try it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Because we literally at this point don't know what's going to happen in six months' time. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got, we got, we're on the brink of World War III. Mm-hmm. We got people like Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates saying the next pandemic can come anytime. We've right. got the banking system on the verge of collapse. We've got CBDCs and all this communist control stuff coming through. Like, fuck it. Like, just really at this point, do, do whatever you want because nothing's guaranteed beyond another couple of years, I think. Yeah. Maybe this is what freedom looks like. And maybe all these things are distractions on some level to keep people from doing whatever the fuck they want. You know, it's like, you got to stay under the authority. Look, you're, you're going to die. <laughs> There's a virus, you know, like money's going to collapse. But like, but in reality, when you pan back a little bit and you do disassociate from this world of control or this world of authority, you can begin to see people like, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to, ever since COVID hit, I think a lot of people changed their lives because they got to see what they were missing. They got to spend time with family. They got to stay away from traffic. They didn't go in and put 50 or 60 hours in. And they're like, what am I doing, man? This is so much better to be here with my family. You know, I just downsize. Maybe I'll get rid of a car and, you know, I just, I'll work, I'll work part-time. Why not? Yeah. Well, it was a great resignation that happened. I think a lot of people came to that same conclusion. Mm-hmm. They just thought, well, man, you know, scary viruses. I could die at any time. Life is short. Fuck it. And that's yeah. not going away. It's only like more so now than a couple of years ago. Cause yeah, there's just so many things that could go chaotically wrong right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, what is it? Uh, Finland's in NATO now and they're going to put Ukraine Ooh. into NATO. Like they're just doing everything to make this war go on and get bigger. That's what it seems like to me. Like all the decisions being made are not diffusing anything. They're just, it's like they're trying to make it bigger. Mm. So let's, let, let's, let's check that out for a minute. It's like, I, I listened to this journalist named Matt Eric and uh, he's a, he is a scholar from the American university in Moscow, something along the lines of that. And he made some interesting parallels saying that, what we are seeing in the United States is what we saw in Moscow when the when the wall came down. Like you saw private enterprise and oligarchs run what, you know, public private partnerships. And all of a sudden these individuals and corporations are just taking stuff over. And if you look at the US and you look at some of these things that are happening, I'll give you an example. Norfolk Southern is this rail line company where there was a huge disaster. And they came in and they pretty much took over East Palestine. They got their own security force. They have their own government in there now. You know, they're doing what I call real estate acquisition and, you know, buying up land for pennies on the dollars. And it does seem a lot like this corporation just came over and almost took over a state. And that kind of seems like what happened in Moscow. You know, it's it's interesting. Do you think that maybe what we're seeing is is the in this war is is a, a is uh oligarchs versus nation states uh that is definitely one angle you could you could look at it uh i look at it through a different lens of um of idle military money that needs to do something Mm. so ever i mean eisenhower warned about it about the military industrial complex after world war ii and that money was very occupied for a long time with the cold war against russia Right. And then the, 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 you know, the Soviet empire fell, all that money got funneled into the wars on terror. And for now, it seems like that's kind of 
over. I mean, there aren't too many huge operations against terror. You know, the U.S. has pulled out of Afghanistan. They're still around doing little operations, but I don't think there's a huge war effort there anymore. So now you've got all this idle money again. It needs to be spent on something. All right, well, let's relaunch the Cold War then. Mm. Right. So then this is a great excuse for that to keep happening. Um, and then I, I like the term oligarchs because we only use that for Russians. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's so true, man. Yeah. <laughs> In the West, we just call them billionaires, you know, mm. but the, they're just that's at so a true. fundamental level, even with the language, there is a anti russian right. spin on everything right and i'm not pro-russian like I, i've never been to russia i have no attachment to russia i don't think that it was cool of putin to invade ukraine but you can for me i can see what seems to be like a period of um buildup of popular opinion to get them ready for a conflict mm -hmm. i don't think that normal people want to go fight and die right mm -hmm. I don't think you can overnight just make someone a bad guy and say, we have to go fight for our freedoms. I think there's this buildup that happens over a course of time where a lot of stuff has to happen. A lot of news has to be spammed at people over a period of years to kind of like build up animosity. And uh, we've been seeing that over the past few years and it's just increasing, you know, towards Russia and China or, or the other way around on their side too. I'm sure they're doing the same thing versus mm -hmm. the West. And, and of course, there's also these other financial things happen in the background where um, the BRICS countries are becoming more united. I've seen, seen news now of certain countries no longer transacting, transacting in U.S. dollars um, for certain purchases they always did up until now. So there is a shift from what was once a unipolar U.S.-dominated world to other countries now saying, hey, no, we want more say in world events. And um, that has slowly been happening over a long time, but now it's coming to like more of a flashpoint. And it's very dangerous because I don't think, I don't think the US is just going to be like, all right, yeah, you guys can take the reins now. We're, we're done doing that. Like they're going to, they're going to try to hold on to what they have. And then the other side is going to try to fight what they think is theirs. Um, and it's all kind of becoming a flashpoint under the Ukraine conflict. <clears throat> and they're not doing anything to defuse that situation. Mm -hmm. There has been no serious attempts at peace talks. And the few times that that is, has happened, the U.S. has basically told Ukraine not to do it, like not to talk with Russia. So they're, they're trying to make it, make it worse for whatever reason. That's, that's what it seems like. Yeah. Well, I, I mean... You know, they say that the best predictor of future behavior is past relevant behavior. And if I was a strategist and a neocon in the U.S., I would say, you know what? Here's what we do. We get Europe to go to war like they always do. Those guys are always fighting each other. So we just mm -hmm. we 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 get this, you know, we get the uh, the ruling families to fight each other. We put them in debt. We crash the euro. We raise rates, we crash the euro. Those guys all go to war, they kill themselves, and then we have a reinvent the United States by supplying them because their their industrial base is gone. And that's what happened. That's yep. kind of why we built the middle class in the U.S. is we just we just destroyed everyone's industrial base, and everyone had to buy from us. And if you look at the way in which the United States is beginning to reshore things, and you factor on top the propaganda against Russia, it's it's. It's similar. You know, we, we say history doesn't repeat, but it kind of rhymes. And if you look at what's happening, you can kind of see that ionic potameter coming around the, the poetic nature of the war. <laughs> yeah. And there's already been a couple of close calls. I mean, there was already, uh, I think, a sh Ukraine launched rockets into right. Poland by accident, right? Yeah, accident, I mean, right? It, 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 by accident, whatever <laughs> happened. I mean, and the more the more that these borders encroach, I mean, okay, Finland now NATO makes a huge border between NATO and Russia, and um, I can't believe they're saying Ukraine into NATO because that was like the one thing that Putin said right. don't do. Like, right, that's like this is his red line, and yeah. they're going to go ahead with it anyway. So they're they're doing everything in their power to just antagonize him even more and push him into that corner. Yeah. You don't know what Russia's going to do when they're in a corner. They're already talking about sending tactical nuclear weapons to Belarus. 
right um i don't know it's just crazy man like they they, they want this war for some reason and well, I, uh, I, so we yeah. just gotta take care of ourselves i think so i i think that the you know i heard a great quote too that said when all else fails they take you to war what better way to have a scapegoat for the financial collapse what better way to have a scapegoat yeah. for everything is like well we're at war you know it's it's and they've already been laying but and they've already been laying the seeds for the hatred. Like they tried sure. to blame the Nord Stream thing on Russia, right? And then the increase in gas prices, and how everyone is now worse off because of Ukraine, and that's Russia's fault. Like that seeds already been planted, and it just all it takes is is people to be like gradually worse off and poorer, right? And in the meantime, they can keep blaming the the other. Doesn't I mean now it's Russia? It could be anybody. They right. keep blaming the other for this problem, and then they get more support for people willing to die for them i guess or maybe maybe ai is going to be what what wins things maybe it's the first country to develop a robot army maybe people don't have to fight anymore maybe it's the ai's uh fighting i don't know yeah i i think you could make a case that we're at war like in the united states there's been something crazy like 400 train derailments and every time you know there's a there's a warehouse fire that's and it's always at a chemical building and there's all like the Ohio River where the East Palestine crash, that's probably the worst ecological disaster that's ever happened in the United States. And you don't even hear hardly anything on the news. You only get information from, you know, smaller sources or independent journalists. And, you know, people are really sick. They got rashes. And, you know, the chemicals that they, that were on that train, you know, those same chemicals were used in World War II as chemical warfare. So, you know... You can make the argument that what you're seeing in America right now is a sort of soft terrorism. And it doesn't take too much imagination to if, – if, if you're the United States when we went into these other countries, the first thing we do is we destabilize them. We try to jack their currency. We fan the flames of division between the groups in there. And that's the exact same thing that's happening in the United States right now. Like our currency is being devalued. There's all this rhetoric about gay versus straight and – tranny libraries and you know men and women and like this all this division and all of these people regardless of their sexual orientation or their pronoun that's all just a it's just a distraction all those people kind of want the same thing but they're being divided so that they don't look up and go hey it's not us it's them you know and i know us versus them is probably not a very good strategy but you know you could make the argument that we're at war that we're being divided. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, information war for sure yes. happening. Been yes. happening for a while. Right. Uh, definitely stuff going on behind the scenes in terms of like maybe cyber attacks or cyber influence. Absolutely. Do you think these these uh, calamities in the U.S. were done by state actors, or what do you think is the the background? Yeah, I, I I'm just a guy with a mic, so. People listen to this, you know. You talk to a lot opinion. of people. You, you I mean, I you do. talk to a lot of experts and stuff. Yeah. I do. I, I, I don't see how it can't be on some level done. And, and I, I did a podcast a while back where I was talking to a guy. I think that what we're seeing in this war is a fight for supply chains. I think that supply chains and resources are more valuable than any currency. And when you look where Ukraine is, you see a lot of pipelines over there. You see a lot of lot of area for high speed rail, like that's a, that's kind of the breadbasket of the one world island. And for those who aren't familiar with the one world island, there was a really intelligent military strategist named uh, Karl von Clausewitz. And if you can see the map behind me, you can see North America kind of looks like a big island. It's protected on all sides by water except that small peninsula, and the only landmass that's bigger than that is the world's island, and that's Europe, China, and Russia. So if you can connect the world's island, which the Belt and Road Initiative does, then you're going to have an economy that would dwarf the United States. So some people say the United States is desperately trying to keep the world's island from being connected. And so that okay. factors into the idea of terrorism in the U.S. And, you know, the, the merger of corporate and state is something that has been growing at a level that is like cancer, no matter what country you're in. And so I could see that in the United States, the railroads could be working with a Chinese company. Or you know what? The, the railroad 
is it's not protected. If I was a terrorist and I wanted to take out infrastructure in a country that was threatening my country, you send over a team of sleepers. They they can they can hit railroads all day long and not be noticed. I mean, why wouldn't you attack the United States in that way? You don't attack the big dog face to face. I'm a small guy. I'm not going to fight fair. I'm going to I'll get smacked around if I fight fair. I'm going to sneak around him and kick him in the balls. And that's exactly kind of what's happening in the United States. So in my opinion, there's no doubt to me that it's terrorism. I, who the, who it is, I, I don't know if it's a state-based, if it's a, you know, insurgents, but it seems to me like it, it, there's no way it can't be. Yeah, well, what I think is suspicious is that if it was a foreign actor, why wouldn't they be reporting the shit out of it? Because they, they, they want any reason to point anything on Russia or China. Right. Right. So that's a little bit of a question. Are these false flags? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a whole nother, there's a great book by Parag Khanna called Connectivity. And he speaks a lot. You know, he, he was, he has been with like the, the WEF and, and the trans, uh, the Atlantic council and all of these giant central planners for quite some time. And he's the, I highly recommend everybody read this book. It's a beautiful book. And he put all these maps in there that show what the world could look like. And he talks a lot about supply chains. And he has a map and it says the next United States. And in that book, you see the United States broken up into territories, kind of like how Canada has like the three territories. But the United States has like five different territories. And in the same map, he shows you these new infrastructure routes that could be built, like high-speed rail connecting New York to California, um, connecting Canada to Mexico. And it looks beautiful in a lot of ways. And in his description is, you could never, ever do this with the United States the way it is. There's too much politics involved. There's too much money involved. The United States is too big to grow at a level that is effective and efficient. But if you had something like a like a devolving of the u.s into territories that maybe then maybe you could have public private partnerships with you know the world health organization or companies from china could come in if you could break up the united states then you could build a better version of of a of a sort of a you know Federated states, maybe not united, yes. but like allied. Right, yeah. right. And you have different laws and you could have different monetary systems. And, you know, so when I put that together with the potential for state actors breaking up, you know, causing problems, having real estate acquisition, buying it for pennies on the dollar. There was another interesting article where Biden came out and talked about we are going to give like $450 million dollars for grants. We're going to give you free money if you put solar on top of old coal abandoned abandoned coal mines. And what's happening in East Palestine that has like the biggest area of abandoned coal mines. And isn't it weird that now there's this law for $450 million of free money if you just put some solar panels on there. Like it's it's real estate acquisition at the highest level. It's industrial espionage. And it's it's all being done in front of you while we're distracting you over here with these other things. So I, 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 yeah, why wouldn't it be state actors? Yeah, you just touched on something interesting too. Is like that, that um, ebb and flow of of consolidation of power into state, and then mm -hmm. disintegration over time, where that just keeps seeming to happen. And that's like one of the key forces I see is there's definitely groups of people that want even more consolidation of power. Yeah. They want a global currency. They want a global right. government. They want to control everything. And then there's that counter force that's also splitting things up at the same time. There was a, I forget his name, but there was a Russian guy that I saw on some alternative news, like it must be like 20 years ago now, mm. um, who predicted the breakup Yuri of Yuri Bezmanov. States. Was it Yuri Bezmanov? Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I remember I thought it sounded completely crazy at the time where he was just like, talking out of his ass but now yeah. it's like you, you kind of see it happening a, a little bit um i think there's a breakaway portion of um washington or oregon that wants to join idaho and uh, i think there's a uh, resolution in the house in texas putting forward to secede mm -hmm. um so th there's whispers of, of that happening 
curious to see how that develops. Yeah, I I think that there's not only sparks of it happening, but there's people blowing on those sparks. You know, I mean, the same way we are talking about incredible opportunity. Imagine, um, you know, breaking up the world's largest country and then selling off the parts for for cheap to people. You know what I mean? Like if you could, yeah. if you could be the person that starts the new currency in Texas or you know, you, it's, it's sometimes you break things up in order to rebuild them. Like I remember having Legos and you build something and then you're like, oh, this thing sucks. I'm breaking it apart and build something new, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and maybe that's the cycles of life. You know, if you look at all empires, they've all collapsed from inside. Maybe that's where we're at. Yeah. I was just thinking the example of Yugoslavia, right? Yugoslavia broke up into those seven nations, but now they're kind of reunited under the, the Eurozone. So maybe that's right. One thing are you saying they're they're fanning these sparks? Maybe there is going to be some kind of a breakup in the U.S., but then they're going to come in and maybe create a even bigger um, union of it. Maybe all of North America in one rule yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, no, Just speculating same, here. No, it's and it's it's. I think yeah. it's a uh, it's probable. You know, in that same book, uh, he's got a map that says. Uh, consolidation through secession movements and you're like what what are you talking about and he, he has this map of europe and it, and it shows europe fractured into all these little countries you know like the in italy they have they have these different secession movements the same in, in the united states and what better way to gain control over the power that is nationalism you know if you if you have oh yeah let's give these guys their little piece let's give them their little piece and then you go from being a country to a series of tribes and it's much easier to control a small tribe than it is a big country you know and when you that's one way of breaking down nationalism which seems to be the very thing that is keeping you know the world government from really sinking in their teeth and, and centralizing power so you can you can consolidate by breaking them up into bite-sized chunks. Yeah, this is a theme I think that we've talked about before: is the idea of how do we um, how do we have more unity without the conflict? Because sorry, how do we have more freedom without conflict? Because what what happens is like let's say Yugoslavia, right? They they break up, and then it's not what happened, but imagine these little tribes, you know, they, they're fighting with each other again. They're going to war over resources. Mm -hmm. um, so there obviously is an advantage to having a unification in that there's perhaps less intrastate or interstate conflict, but then that has a price tag, right? Because the more, the, the bigger the control mechanism is in the government is the less freedom you have because you can't, like the bigger the territory is, the less chance you have to leave it. And the only way population can really vote uh, against the government is by leaving it, right? Voting with your feet. Right. So, yeah, I don't know how we're going to strike that balance because obviously I don't want a oppressive world government. I want the ability to say if the laws are too burdensome or the taxes are too high that I'm going to go to some place where I'm treated better. But if you have a huge jurisdiction, there's nowhere to go. Right. However, you have maybe more peace. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you've explained exactly where we are. Like, how do you leave a 15-minute city when you need to get a permit to, to leave right. there? You know, or, you know, you have these cameras on every angle and it's, you know, you're being told like, oh, no, this is a, this is a great way to uh, be effective and efficient, you know, and you can walk to the store or you can walk to the bus. You know, you, you can have anything you want for dinner. Do you want orange carrots or purple ones? You just can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You right. can't go anywhere. But, so yeah. it's, it, it's, it's a prison, really. I mean, it's it probably is. the nicest prison, the, the nicest prison you could think of, but it's still a prison. Yeah. And depending where you are in the world, I mean, it it may be an actual wall around your, you know. Yeah. Why not work it? You know, is is Foxconn a prison? Because that seems to be kind of a model that people are looking towards. Like, hey, let's just have the people live here. Why not? You know, live. Yeah, in the they dorm. won't even let them kill themselves. 
yeah <laughs> that's like Man. a basic fundamental right i think is to be able to end your own life and you can't even do that there yeah they're like no no you can't do that we need you to show up every day <laughs> no. <laughs> put nets out the windows no jumping yeah it's yeah. it's interesting and it yeah. it, i don't know it, it's so constricting when you constrict the human being to I don't know. It just seems like they've taken, they're, they're really trying to strip the humanity out of the human and, and make them a number. And, and it, we don't, we don't work like that. You know, I, I think it's doomed on some yeah. level. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day, uh, like, I think people are just tired, you know? Yeah. Um, I was, cause part of my job now is to like, I work for a sales team mm-hmm. and, um, they want to optimize their sales funnel. And the only way to do that is to just like squeeze every minute of potentially productive time out of people. And, um, I mean, I'm doing my job, but I'm thinking, man, can't we just leave them alone? You know? Yeah. Can't we just (laughs) give them a little bit of a break? So what if we don't make the budget, the budget's higher than last year anyway, right? They're still making money. They're still selling. I don't know. It's just, I think people are just tired of feeling like every ounce of them is squeezed out of them for someone else's benefit. And uh, yeah, that's a sense I get from, from like everybody right now. There's, there's a little bit of a a feeling that tomorrow isn't going to be better than today. And, uh, and that's like how a a greater depression starts. I think it starts with feelings. And if you got a whole swath of people that don't think tomorrow is going to be better than they, they don't have like really much to live for or any purpose and then it starts to slide down. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, and you know, I don't know if it's just a, something that's being done consciously or unconsciously, but you know, and I guess it doesn't matter if it's being done on purpose or not, it's happening. And yeah, but the, the there's there is in my mind a spark of the divine nature that happens here. Like I think there's a decision point for people, and let let's just say that it's happening because humans are greedy or something like that. But there's 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 inflation. People are going to be squeezed for productivity. So if you find yourself in that position, whether you're the guy doing the squeezing or whether you're the guy getting squeezed. You guys both have the same opportunity to leave what you're doing and try something else because you know what's going to happen if you stay there. You're either going to keep squeezing or you're going to keep getting squeezed. So, and they're, they're essentially the same thing. You do have a choice. You know, not making a choice is still making a decision. And it's hard though. It's hard to walk away from something you've done for 20 years. It's hard to walk away when you have a family. It's hard to walk away when you have bills. But at some point in time, you got to ask yourself, can I keep doing this or am I going to bet on myself? Because other people aren't going to bet on you. The, the, the place where you work is not going to bet on you. You know, uh, this this large corporation does not have your best interest in mind. It doesn't care. It sees you as a number. And if you really love your family, then maybe the thing to do is to go out and put yourself out there and start creating value, creating, making everyone around you better will be like a boomerang and it will come back to you. I believe wholeheartedly in that. I mean, you're an example of that, man. <laughs> I, I mean, you've I, been doing this for a couple of years. You've built a little like community around your podcast, which is yeah. full of interesting people and different minds. So you're creating your own culture in a sense. Thank you, man. I, 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 I'm, I'm thankful to hear that. And I want to share with everybody that it really comes from, trying to understand the people around you, be a good communicator and just ask this question, how can I help this person? And I know it sounds, it's a very difficult to question. It's a very difficult question to ask yourself, how can I help this other person when, when you yourself are struggling? And I know that cause I've been there, but it, in a weird way, when you start asking the question, how can I provide value for these other people? What are they talking about? How can I help them? Do I know someone? What really begins to happen is you see yourself in that other person. While I'm thinking, how do I help Kevin? If I find a solution, it's almost like I also found a solution for me. Like, oh, maybe I could apply that to my life. And sometimes when you get into this thought pattern of how can I help me? How can I help me? 
you you don't see the the problem from another angle. So when you try to help someone else solve a problem, you're really looking at a similar problem that you have and seeing it from another angle. And now all of a sudden you've recruited someone to your side that's going to reciprocate. Oh, you know what? Yeah, actually, maybe that person's thinking, how can they help George? And you string a few of those together and now you know, you've got 10% of 100 people instead of 100% of one person. It, it starts to pay dividends. And I, I, I really think everyone's capable of doing it. And maybe, hopefully, hopefully if you're not capable of doing it, you'll be forced to do it. You'll get fired. You'll get kicked out. And <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Some people have to be drag kicking and screaming into awakening. Right. right. Um, but I think to kind of, uh, I, I mean, I totally wholeheartedly agree with what you just said. And I think um, one of the great crimes that has been perpetrated amongst the peasant class, yeah. let's say, uh, that we are in yep. is that uh, they, they've pretty much concealed our power from us through the use of fear. We exactly. all have the ability. Like, I believe that reality is malleable. Like the, the world will shape itself around you because you are the, the key actor here. And I believe you can change the world, maybe not immediately, but through your words and through your actions and through your thoughts. We all have that power. But the great crime is, like I said, they've tr they're deliberately trying to keep you afraid. And the more that they succeed in that, the less likely you are to understand that you have that power and exercise it. So that that's where the flashpoint is now. It's because they're just, I mean, the fear is being ramped up to the highest right. level. Right. But I'm seeing a huge, huge counterswell of people that are sharing what we're sharing and, yep. and understand that we do have power. And then it's it's almost biblical in in the yeah. way it's it's happening when you look about the dark and versus light uh, conflict that always resurges itself and it's it's endless. So I think that everyone has to decide what, if they're going to fight or just you know give in. Yeah, it's a great point. In a, I love the way you explain the idea of having power through your words and your actions. You know, before the when we were on the pre-show chat, I, I told you that quote that said, uh, the things that you're interested in, those things are interested in you. And, and one thing that yeah. I had found is that I felt myself, you know, a couple of years ago, before I started the podcast, thinking to myself about fear and what I'm afraid of. And there was a flashpoint for me. Like I, there was a guy at my work that I, I didn't, I was really mean to him all the time. And I just say mean things to him or make fun of him or try to belittle him. And one time this guy pulled me aside and he's like, dude, why, George, why are you being such a, why are you being such a dick to that guy? And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I'm just playing. He's like, no, man, you ain't playing. You're being rude and mean. And like, I think it sucks, man. You should stop it. And so I, it was, a, it was a friend of mine. And so I went home. I think I had taken some mushrooms that weekend. I started thinking about like, why am I doing that? Yeah, that guy's kind of right. And I came to this conclusion that like, I didn't like that guy because he was weak. And the more that I thought about it, I go, you know what? It's not that he's weak. It's that I'm weak. And that guy reminds me that I am weak. And I, I almost cried. You know, I was like, whoa, what, what a revelation, man. I am so afraid of being weak that I'm, I'm picking on people smaller than me. That is a horrible thing, George. And at that point in time, I thought like, okay, if, if, if I'm weak, I need to get stronger. How do I do that? Well, I should start standing up for myself better and start of making fun of other people. And, and I did I just baby steps, baby steps. And it got to this point where, you know, I, I thought, okay, now I've taken, now I've, I've won some battles. I've stood up for myself. Let me go into work and start standing up for some other people. And I did, I started becoming like the liaison for the shop steward. I started finding people that needed help and saying, Hey man, you know what? That doesn't have to happen. You know what? You could, we could do these things and I'll help you do it. Pretty soon people started coming to me. Hey George, what do you think I should do? And it's this thing. It's back to that idea. The things that you're interested in are interested in you. And if you can find out what your weakness is, then you can begin to make that your biggest strength. And I would argue that this thing you think is your is your weakness is a superpower, but it's asking you to develop it. It's like, hey, man, you got to build this muscle in you. And when you do, 
the world starts moving around you, things start happening and you start making the decisions that you need to make in order to make yourself the best version of you. And I, it's a superpower that, like you said, everybody has it, but it's just a matter of becoming aware of it. And that's the first step. I think awareness is key. Yeah. First, first step is awareness. And then I think second step is you got to do that work Yeah. because if, yeah. I mean, these fears are going to stop things from happening for you if you let them. Um, and that's the hard part. I mean, that that's I, it takes a long time, I think, to really work through a lot of them. Um, and I don't think it ever really finishes all the way because I, mm -hmm. I think there are some fears we just can't sure. really fully get rid of. We can just confront them, but we, they'll always be there. Well, you've been a coach for a while and you've helped out people different countries and stuff like that is is would you say that fear is an underlying pattern that paralyzes everyone yeah i don't i don't do so much coaching anymore um All right. mostly because i don't think people really want to change mm. um and the i think a lot of people just want confirmation that they're doing the right thing you hmm. know and that gets a little bit uninteresting at times yeah, but um, I think yeah, fear is fear is behind everything, and mm -hmm. uh, you, we can discuss what kind of fear it is. But it's it's always something around dying or not existing or not being seen. I think that's the main fear. At the, if you boil down all of the other fears to that, mm -hmm. so you know, and, th and this is where if you're spiritual, that can be beneficial to you, right? If you had a spiritual experience of transcendence then fear of death becomes a little bit easier to work with um and uh trauma can help you if that trauma shows you your fears and allows you to work on them aloha everyone thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the true life podcast i truly appreciate it if you're taking some time to listen to this whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way i truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that... I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.